Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. All right, so welcome back to Recovery, sort of, where we talk about recovery, sort of. Um, so we, you know, got our podcast up and running, Bill. Uh, we had a, supposedly like five or three listens, depending on which statistic you look at on our site. And I'm assuming that one was my wife and two were you. That's <laughs> of the three. I, I'm imagining no one else probably heard this yet, including myself. Uh, my wife was supposed to listen to it too, so maybe that's three. Okay. <laughs> that works out. Um, so yeah, this week we're going to talk about uh, meetings and uh, why they are great or why they aren't so great, depending on which one you hit that week. Um, and of course, we're we're coming mostly from a twelve-step meeting perspective on that, but generally, I think both of our shared experiences that all meetings and all people in general. Are, kind of fall into a certain sort of category or group of, of people and they kind of act the same no matter where you go. Yeah, that's kind of been my thing early on, obviously through going to uh, inpatient treatment or even recommendations of outpatient treatment. I had checked out a bunch of the different 12-step meetings. I know I've been to at least four different versions of 12-step meetings, um, mostly the big ones, the sort of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, there used to be one around, I don't know if it's still around, called CDA, Chemical Dependence Anonymous. Mm-hmm. I had been to a few of those meetings, not many. Um, and then, of course, you got the SA and uh, Overeaters Anonymous. I've never been to either of those meetings, but I know a little bit about them. I've read some of their literature and things. Um, so the 12-step model seems to be pretty popular for a lot of people you know, meetings wise. Right. Um, recently I've actually been looking into some other non 12 step meeting options that are out there, um, which I have been to at least one of the versions that I've seen. I've been to at least one of those is a, a meditation, uh, type version. Um, there's some different, you know, non, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Like they're, they're, they're less focused on the God and the spiritual aspects and more focused on the, uh, like the cognitive behavioral therapy aspects of meetings. There's a couple of those in our area, which I've already been kind of Googling up and trying to figure out how I'm going to fit them into my schedule to check them out. So I think that should be fun. I'm really open-minded to that kind of stuff. Um, not because I want to leave the fellowship that I'm in. I'm quite happy there. I, the 12 step, model has worked great for me and I still feel like it's got a lot to offer me. I have friends that I've known there forever. Um, I've met my wife there, pretty much everyone in my personal network of friends outside of my immediate family. I know from 12 step fellowships over the years. So I have no plans on looking for another home, so to speak. Um, It's more just curiosity. 
No, and I, I'm I'm with you. I like to experience different experiences. At one point, I definitely, when I first got to, you know, <clears throat> my particular fellowship, I bought into the, this is the only answer I need. I don't need to go anywhere else. And I was completely against it. And then through some other experiences of checking out other 12-step meetings over time, uh, you mentioned uh, Overeaters Anonymous, and then there's like SLAA and SAA and, and Debtors Anonymous and, and all these other things that I've, you know, participated in for research and or for personal need. Um, and I've enjoyed the experience of being exposed to, to new ways of saying things or thinking about things, right? I will say that I, one of the things I find funny, so I okay, you, I'll agree that like the 12 steps probably work because they change the way we think, right? They're more of a thought process than a, a God process in that aspect, the 12 steps themselves. And yet I'm, I truly still cannot fathom going to a, a fellowship that doesn't necessarily focus or believe in the spiritual side of it, because I'm like, well, in that initial moment of clarity for me, I don't think that happened because of my own brain, right? Like, I think there was some other power at work that made that switch in the beginning in order to even think about changing my thinking in a 12-step fellowship. I don't think I thought my way into getting out of addiction. Yeah, and and when I think of those other types of meetings, so not all of them are even abstinence-based um, so the goals of the different meetings are, can be quite different. Some of these other alternatives to 12-step meetings are abstinence-based, but some are not. Some are more how to manage your addiction in a way where you can go socially drink. And that is what, I don't want to use the word fascinates me. It sort of scares me to death. It's like, <laughs> I only, for me personally, think that an abstinence-based recovery model will work because right. I even from an early on age, never did anything to any sort of manageable level right. for more than two days. You know, like everything was always full on all the time. That's just the way that I even now engage in most things in my life, in my life. It's, it's like all or nothing. I'm all in. Um, so to think that, oh, I can figure out how to drink manageably, like, for me personally, like that's ridiculous. Like that's not an option, you know, <laughs> right. that I want to explore in my life. I don't even want to try it. Um, so yeah, and then the the spiritual aspect, I think, you know, get down a road of people tend to mix up these words spiritual with religious, and they start mm -hmm. to look at twelve step meetings as being more of a religious kind of thing, and all the uh, dogma and that that comes along with just the word God, you know, the stigma and what people think when you hear this word God and the hangups with that, me included, like I am right there with, you know, all the lack of uh, belief in sort of some of the organized religion principles that I just buck at. And, you know, those can be easily confused in 12-step fellowships. It can be easy to think, well, this is really just a Christian thing that they're trying to sneak God in some kind of back door and they'll say it's not, but it is. Right. Um, so for me personally, like the, the spiritual aspect of meetings is, you know, I go to learn about spiritual principles that I want to apply in my life. And when I apply those principles in my life, I'm living spiritually. And it's kind of that simple. Um, it's not this, you know, I need some, uh, belief in some deity to bless me so that my life becomes good. 
Right. No, I, that's funny. I, I can't imagine doing a non-abstinence-based program myself. Uh, the thought of trying to do something in moderation uh, escapes me, even clean. Like, I, I definitely have caused many a moment of chaos in my life because I don't seem to have that moderating force within me when I get into anything. Um, but you you mentioned, you know, people who can confuse uh, the fellowship uh, with or a meeting with a religious entity. And and that would be one of the things that makes a bad meeting for me is when it happens to be a speaker meeting or someone shares and they are overly sold on their, their particular God. Um, it's one thing to mention who your God is. I'm fine with that. Oh, Hey, like I love Jesus. I'm like, cool. That's cool. You know, And if that's all you say about it, I'm good with that. But when you start to really go into that in the form of, uh, Hey, everyone in this meeting, we we all really know where this is going and where this comes from. And we understand that, you know, the disease and, and maybe this other figure, the devil, it might be the same thing. And, you know, character defects might be sins. We all get that. I'm like, no, we don't all get that. And please stop and just shut up. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't bother me as much anymore. I I do get concerned sometimes. Like I think, oh, you know if someone's new coming into meetings and that's their first introduction, you know, or they're right. only been going to meetings for a short amount of time. And then they hear this religion thing and, and they get a little bit freaked out. I do worry a little bit about that, but at the same time, you know, you can go into a meeting and you can have a guy go on a 20 minute diatribe about his war story and glorify his using, which can be just as detrimental to people. You can have people go on a 15 minute diatribe about how terrible their life is since they got clean and they're having all these problems and issues. And, you know, people say all kinds of crazy stuff in meetings. I've been in enough to hear <laughs> pretty much every tradition violated. Probably I've done it myself at different times in my life, you know, broke every tradition there is about speaking about meetings. I mean, when we, it, it cracks me up. So when we need read, you know, one of the readings in the uh, fellowship I go to, they say, we're not interested in what or how much you used, who your connections were, what you have done in your past, how much or how little you have, but only in what you want to do about your problem and how we can help. And then almost every speaker meeting starts with at least a five to 15 minute story about all you're using and how you got to where you are and how you sort of, quote unquote, earned your seat there. And just even that, you know, cracks me up now and we do it for identification purposes but it's like wait a minute we just had a reading that says we don't care about these things but that's how we quote unquote qualify ourselves is to say all those things <laughs> right so uh, that particular statement i look at uh that particular part of our, our reading i look at is as interesting because we say all we care about is, is you know what you think your problem what you want to do about your problem and how we can help and we don't really want to know what they want to do about their problem. Like we want to give suggestions about what they can do about their problem. Uh, and so I always found that interesting. Like, I don't really care what any of my sponsees, what they think the solution to their problem is too much. Like, cause they usually don't have the right solution. So yeah. I, I don't know. I find that interesting. I, I don't know. I'm always amazed that so many people don't like, uh, what they refer to as war stories or, or just talking about their use. And I think that is a crucial part of my story personally. And that's because when I got here, 
That was the only goddamn thing I heard when people shared. I could identify with the feelings of the getting and using and struggling. Like usually a great story for me early on was somebody who talked about their using. Um, They talked about what it was like. They definitely had a couple of funny stories to like, because it's the first time I could laugh in forever. So I could laugh at myself a little with their funny stories. And then they would talk about the horrors of the of, of some of their using days, you know, like, hey, I was using and I, I got burned or it was gelling up and whatever it was. Right. Some of the things that I could identify with, I couldn't fucking connect if you only shared about the 12 steps in your life in recovery. I'd have never I'd have never felt a part of. And so I personally definitely make sure I'm not an apologist for sharing some of my using, nor do I ever avoid sharing it. Like that's the point of my share is to connect with that guy walking in the door, have him have something relatable and then tell him what it's like now for me after that. Yeah. And I think that is the, one of the best things about the uh, anonymity involved in the program. You know, we talk about that word anonymity a lot being like, Oh, you're not supposed to give out my last name and you're not supposed to tell people you saw me in a meeting, but, you know, anonymity also has the value of that, you know, no meeting is set by any particular standards that they all identify or, or I'm sorry, they all develop their own uh, flavor, if you will, their own sort of identity, you know, so that I go to certain meetings that I really relate to. You know, mm-hmm. I have been in my home group for a long, long time, and I like the format of that meeting. I've had people go there and be like, dude, this is the worst meeting. Like, I don't know how <laughs> you go there on a regular basis and get anything out of that. And, you know, I can go to another meeting or my wife and I are a perfect example. So, you know, we'll go to a meeting together, which has just happened recently. We go to a meeting together. We walk out of the meeting and she's like, man, that was a great meeting. And I'm like, really? Like, I think that was a terrible meeting, you know? So what we're looking for and what we need in that out of, you know, meetings in general, I think is different for each of us, you know, as part of the autonomy of the program is like why I go to meetings and what I do, um, you know, is unique to me. Like, I, I don't think we all go for the same reasons. And I've changed the reasons that I go throughout my using, you know, in the beginning, I went to a lot of meetings all the time because I just didn't want to get high. I had no kind of social uh, activities outside of getting high. So I went to a lot of meetings all the time. It connected me with people. It gave me some, as you said, people I could identify with. Um, One of the first meetings I walked into, there was a guy in there that I had been in jail with. So I was like, hey, I know that guy. I know where he came. I had used with him. Before we were in jail together, then we got to hang out a little bit in jail together. So there was that point of identity just from seeing that person. Um, so I see how, you know, that that identification of hearing people's stories can be really useful. Um, it's hard to remember back to when I first started coming to meetings, what I liked about them, to be honest. <laughs> It's been a long time. I've been to a lot of meetings over the years. So here's a question, uh, and maybe this will will at least point us in the direction for this topic. Who's the meeting for? Right? Because I would tend to think, of course, everybody in it, right? The guy with 30 years needs to hear something useful for him and, and be a part of providing what's useful for others, just as much as the guy with one day clean at his first ever meeting, right? I tend to believe that both of those people need it. But I I would say that initially 
maybe the primary purpose, right, is the still suffering addict who could be either one of those. I tend to lean towards the meeting is definitely for the guy walking in the door for the first time or or early on, right? Like, uh, yeah, of course, I want to get something out of a meeting. But a lot of days when I go to a meeting now, I'm trying not to think, oh, should I go to this meeting? Am I going to get anything out of it? And it's more of like, this is the meeting I said I was going to go to. And I need to show up whether I'm going to get anything or not, because sometimes I'm the guy that's giving the stuff today, right? But I think the meeting is more for the person who needs to come in and get that initial shot of hope uh, to come out of despair. What do you think? So Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know that I've thought that much about who is the meeting for. I mean, obviously, you know, it's like, say, the, the still suffering person who can be anyone. So I think the meeting is for everyone personally, because we're all suffering in some way or shape or form as addicts, if we're not treating ourselves. So going to meetings, I guess I think a lot of times is what are meetings for? Like, what is the purpose of the meeting? Okay. Um, because if you think about it, like I would apply it to like a someone that goes to a group therapy session. Well, if you have people that go into a group therapy session, is that group just for one of those individuals or is one of those individuals needs trump the needs of everyone else in the group? Or is it for the good of the group? You know, and I look at meetings more as that. Like meetings are, so I'll go down this road a little bit. I don't think meetings are where you get recovery. I don't right. think they're, what I understand of at least through the 12 step model is that the recovery, what I need in my life to help me deal with my problem of addiction is found in the 12 steps. Right. And that the meeting is just a place where I go for uh, positive reinforcement of those ideas of why I am staying abstinent, why I choose that lifestyle, why I continue to sort of practice the 12 steps to the best of my ability, why I've made a decision to not use drugs on a daily basis anymore. Right. Um, and in that, as a result of working the 12 steps and doing like a 12 step where I'm trying to practice these principles in all my affairs. Um, you know, I try to identify who's, I try to identify other people's needs and do my best to help them meet their needs. Um, because that's a, a I want to be a loving, caring, kind, compassionate person in all areas of my life. Um, I don't want to be selfish or self-serving or self-seeking. So even if I'm suffering and I go to a meeting and someone else in there is suffering as well, I want to identify and relate with that person suffering and try to share with them. And, you know, that helps us both kind of deal with our stuff. Um, but I don't know that I ever thought that a meeting is for one person over another. I would have to think about that. At the at the risk of, of beating this to death or, or you know, going a little too far to, to try to prove I'm right, because that's not my goal here. But I, I guess from for me, it stems from, um, yeah, I agree mostly with everything you said about, you know, what the meetings are for. They're not where the recovery happens, right? I just think there's like a, a reminder of what we need to do and a reinforcement, like you mentioned, and, and, you know, a shot of hope sometimes when we're feeling a little down. But I would say for me, the reason I say the newcomer is probably the most important, which you hear in meetings, even though it's not in our literature, um, is because I think the guy walking in doesn't have any other ability to get that, right? So if a guy with 10, 15, 20, 30 years is in a meeting, even if he is the guy that's still suffering, uh, at that point, I would hope 
that he has learned some other ways to deal with his suffering, right? Hopefully he's got a sponsor he knows to call. He's got a network that he relies on and calls regularly or meets up with for coffee. Uh, maybe he's learned some coping skills for him like meditation or, or you know, whatever it is, uh, some kind of comfort method to, to treat himself with. Like the newcomer that's just shot dope yesterday and trying to get clean today does not have those options. Right. So I'm assuming that that's the most important person because they don't have anywhere else to get that bit of hope or relief from the way they feel. Whereas people who do have time, even in their times of suffering, have other places to go and other means to, to get some you know, relief or help with their problem. Right. So then how do we identify who is a newcomer? And by that, I mean, <laughs> I was first introduced to 12 step meetings when I was 17 years old. I didn't get clean or get sober when I was 17 years old. You know that it, I went to meetings through different times. I was court ordered to meetings at different times, you know, but I was 26 when I came back to meetings and found recovery this time. Right. So at what of those points was I exactly a newcomer? Like, so with all that said, when I came back the last time, when I came to meetings, I had a pretty clear understanding of what, if I wanted Narcotics Anonymous to work for me, what I needed to do. Right. Like there was no secret at that point. I knew what I was kind of going there for. Um, I wasn't completely lost and totally abandoned in my life. Well, we should probably write out a list of rules, kind of like the NCAA <laughs> yeah. eligibility rules uh, for college play. And we can have, you know, if you've only been to meetings for two years, but never had more than nine months right. straight clean on two consecutive occasions, like, you know what I mean? We can yeah. have some crazy. No. What if you've been to meetings for five years and never worked a step? Right. So then you're, <laughs> no. I guess, I mean, the only way you can really go by that for me, and, and this doesn't help with our conversation at all, but it's the same, like you're clean when you say you're clean, you're a newcomer when you say you're a newcomer. Um, I don't know any other way to, to delegate that on, you know, onto someone, unless I, it's somebody with 20 years clean that I want to make fun of. And then I call him a newcomer. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know how to pick that out. Yeah. It's interesting. I, and you know, I don't, I don't know. I, this is bad to say, but I'll say it. I don't care. Um, you know, we hear people say that, you know, the newcomer is the most important person at any meeting. And I'm always like, well, I don't know if that's true. You right. know, I mean, if we got five newcomers in a meeting and no one there with any real experience of recovery or any real experience of doing anything, what do those five people have to offer each other? You know, I, well, and if you if you lay out the rest of the statement, the newcomer is the most important person in the meeting because we can only keep what we have by giving it away. And I would not still be in recovery if it wasn't for uh, becoming a sponsor, if it wasn't for reinforcing this program in myself by helping to teach others and helping others to grasp it, right? And that doesn't mean that I did anything special except show up. Like, obviously... For me, the God of my understanding does the real work in individuals, not me. It's not like I'm out here saving people's lives uh, personally, but it has definitely been me showing up for the newer member and helping them to to read the page they're on. Like I'm generally a guy that's just reading a, a later page in the book. Um, so that's what's helped me stay clean. And that's why I think that statement is the newcomer is the most important person, because if nobody new came in after me and I didn't have this to give back to, I would have already forgotten what I needed to do. Um, so I think the newcomer is the most important person because they're actually for my recovery. 
it's kind of like helping other people because I know it makes me feel good. It's selfless in a very selfish way. Yeah. And, and I've thought that before, like, you know, what, what I've come to believe as far as, you know, my problem, you know, with addiction is that I am a totally self-centered and self-serving person. And that most of my initial actions and initial responses to life or how do I get what I want? How do I get more of what I want? What's going to serve me best in this situation? And by trying to help other people, putting other people's needs first, that's like the antithesis of my disease. That's the, that's the counter opposite. You know, that's the, that's the spiritual part is, you know, learning to put other people's needs ahead of my own. Um, The reason I do think, you know, kind of, try to think deeply about some of those reasons uh, for some of those sayings and stuff though, is because I don't want to be a person that, or I shouldn't say I don't want to be, it's hard for me to be a person that just does stuff because someone else told me to do it. I got to think about it and be like, well, why am I doing this? What is the reason behind doing this? Is there a reason behind doing this? Or am I just doing something because somebody told me to do it? Um, sort of that dogmatic approach to things. And I'm not a person that likes to just have a dogmatic approach to life. (laughs) You know, I want to make sure that because I can only, you know, have good intention if I know what the reasons behind what I'm doing are, you know, I have to have reasons behind what I'm doing so that I can make sure my intentions and my actions are all in line. I agree with that. Uh, A buddy of mine and I discuss a lot of times he talks about, it's important to do the right thing for the right reason. And we've gotten into, you know, good debates about, I would say it's, if you just do the right thing for the wrong reason, fuck it. Like at least you're doing the right thing. And and he believes the intent really does make a difference, but I, what you're going into, uh, I, we should really just take a note and make that an episode of are the cliches, uh, you know, go through every cliche we can think <laughs> of. And like, is this one fucking stupid or is this a really good one? Cause there are some really stupid ones that we say for sure. Yeah. I'll buy into that. I feel like we're completely off the topic of whether meetings suck or not. Though. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe. So let's get into, yeah, we'll get back to, you know, what, what makes a, a bad meeting or what things are annoying about meetings? Uh, to me, it's all the sort of group chanting and the things that we all say together when we chime in. And Really? Yeah, that drives me nuts. It, it, and it ties back to one of my times in treatment. I was, you know, we watched, I believe it was the Sandra Bullock, like 28 Days, I think is the one she was in. That's this recovery-based alcoholic, you know, thing where she goes to treatment and to watch in a movie and see all these groups of people like saying these sort of chants, like it looks very cultish and it looks very <laughs> corny. And, you know, it's just like, gosh, is that really what my life is relegated to? Is this corny cliche of a you know thing? That's... So that bugs me. And over the years, what's gotten worse is that we do it just more and more and more. <laughs> I will agree with that. <laughs> Every year we're adding a new, like, let's just say this part. And pretty soon we're just going to all be reading the whole readings all together and and doing all that. And it's. That would be funny. I find it hokey. (laughs) I find it great. No. So I I agree. So my home group, they they definitely have more and more and more like you're talking about. And that part does kind of bother me. Like they 
oh, hey, we have the basic text for sale at cost and also the sponsorship book that you work with, A, eh? and then everybody's supposed to yell out sponsor. <laughs> and like, it's just more and more group participation. And, and a lot of it does seem really weird. And, and I guess hokey is a good word for it to me. But I will say, going back to early recovery uh, in my area, they would read the 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 one reading how it works and they would say alcohol is a drug and I caught on real early that the cool people would be like what and then they'd have to say alcohol is a drug again and I always felt a part of for knowing that and being able to participate in it and that was like one of my first uh comparing in I feel a part of this group and I think that's a big a big part of my recovery was buying in, like to feel a part of something for once in my life instead of so isolated and alone on an island. And so in that sense, I will say that I think that particular chant or whatever uh, was good for me. I think maybe that's good for other people too, if, if they had that same problem I had. So then is, is there a counter to that though, that, you know, what about the people that don't know the chants or the sayings, how awkward they must feel standing there when everyone else is doing this thing on this inner circle and they're the ones left on the outside because they don't right. know the saying. Or they so don't, I don't, I don't, don't know chant for the them. Chant. Right. Yeah. And you know, when you're sitting there, when you're that person, you feel like everyone in the meeting is staring at you and everyone knows that you're not saying the little right. saying that everyone's like, that's the way you feel is that, Oh my God, everyone's looking at me and I'm not saying these words that everyone else knows. So God, I'm thinking so back lonely. right now <laughs> and, and you're right, but I, I'm thinking back. So for me, and I know everyone is not like me. I, I at least am rationally aware of that, even though I don't believe it most days uh, in my self-centeredness. But for me, when I had bought into NA and I was ready um, when they chanted before I knew it, I just couldn't wait to learn it. I was like eating it up, trying to memorize it while they were saying it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get this one of these meetings, right? I'm going to be on the in crowd. Um, so I, I don't know, though, but uh, I guess it could go either way. It doesn't always have to be, you know, the way I experienced it. Uh, one of the things I definitely dislike in meetings is when I go to a meeting and Hopefully not the speaker, uh, if it's a speaker meeting, because that's a, a really lengthy, awful share. But even even from the floor, just having to listen to somebody who is not ready to share about any recovery-based information, and they drone on and on about the awfulness of their recovery house, or what's going on there, or they're just completely bitching, or the same guy sharing every meeting about the same dumb bitch session that never involves a solution or any recovery based information never even ends with, Hey, at least I stayed clean through this bullshit that I'm like, I guess for me, it's just a kind like when people share that aren't plugged in enough to have anybody tell them, Hey, you probably shouldn't be sharing uh, ever or definitely not as often because you don't, know any fucking recovery yet you've never worked a step and yet you're still in this meeting every week talking about why recovery is not working yeah and and that so i think about it as from the the spirit from where they're coming from with that and mm -hmm. to clarify when i talk about like a when we talk about war stories like there's a spirit behind that you know when i talk about someone having what i consider like a war story that's almost a glorification of their using and how much drugs they were doing right. and how much they were selling and all the stuff that they acquired and how many women they had and you know that sort of glorification aspect right. of it it's not just someone who talks about using you know almost. it's more the glorification side that i consider 
like using it as a status almost to gain recognition. Like, right. I of how that. cool they were. And I think for me with what you're talking about, there is again, the spirit behind what they're saying. Is it someone that's coming in? That's really like pained up. That's suffering. That is just trying to voice their suffering. Or are they just complaining when it's really a bunch of nonsense, you know, complaining for the sake of wanting to complain out loud and be heard? I mean, obviously, with the advent of Facebook and all these other things, we see plenty of people doing that all the time. Like, I just want to bitch and yell and scream about what I'm not happy about so people pay right. attention to me. Right. You know, when it's that attention grab thing, yeah, it's pretty annoying. Um, but, you know, for some, when I hear newer people come in and talk about the real suffering that they feel of not knowing how to deal with life without drugs, not knowing how to deal with their problems and just wanting to use and, and just nail biting through that, you know, in that early part, like that hits my heart pretty hard, you know, whether they add some recovery in there or not, most of them don't have it at that point to add. Right. No. And so I think you just pointed out a really good way to to qualify uh, whether it's something worth listening to or not. Um, I would totally agree. Yeah, I think the, the pain of using is part of recovery. Right. And I'm definitely more focused on the people who are just complaining because they are still living in the perspective of the world is out to get them and they have had no you know, recovery change of maybe there's something I can do. Or maybe there's some support I can get to help deal with this. They're just stuck in, you know, uh, the Eeyore mode of wanting to be miserable. Right. Poor me. I think that yeah. one of the things that's hard about qualifying it that way is that there's no actual way to measure that. Right. And so then it just becomes a and that's probably a lot of what we'll talk about today. There's no real, you know, measurement device to, to point out, hey, this was a good meeting or this was a bad meeting. It's more of just a feel. Um that's what we deal with. Yeah. And that's where the, that autonomy comes in. It's like, you know, for an area similar to ours at the moment that has a lot of recovery houses popping up, you have a lot of people coming into meetings that are in recovery houses. Well, for the 10 other guys that are in that meeting in a recovery house, they can relate with that recovery house guys, bitches. You know right. what I mean? Like for them, that's their point of identification. That's where like, yeah, I understand that difficulty i understand that struggle i know what i can relate to that whereas you know if they went to another meeting, like in particular my home group there's a bunch of guys there with a lot of time you don't hear a lot about at least from the members of the home group there's not a lot of talk about man i really had a hard time just not getting high today like that's just not a topic that comes up a lot at my home group because you know the home group members have double digit clean time more than half of them right so our struggles with recovery have more to do with you know applying spiritual principles trying not to give into like the self-centered self-seeking behaviors some of the you know struggles of you know just living life on life's terms sometimes not as much the identification of using and being in a recovery house or being early in recovery and trying to get a job with a criminal record. Like those aren't things that come up at my home group that much. So I think some people would fall into the category of people who say, you know, every clean day is a successful day. And I'm sure not everyone agrees with that. You know, you could not get high today and, and, you know, beat your wife and, and 
kick your children and, and, you know, smash your puppy's head or something really awful, which that just went to a really, you know, extreme <laughs> right there in my, in my version. But uh, that does bring to the point that question, like it, for our program's purpose and for where we come from and for just not going back to that miserable place, right? Not that we can't get miserable in recovery, but supposedly if you don't use today, there's always hope that you don't have to be as bad tomorrow or have as terrible of a day tomorrow. So, you know, is, is that the truth? Is it, if you just don't use today, it's been successful and that maybe we should remember that in meetings. Like you mentioned your home group, not ever really talking about the, that point of addiction, but can we say like, Hey, today was a rough day and I'm struggling to put spiritual principles into my relationship with my wife and I don't want to cheat on her. Um, but you know, I didn't use today. So it's, it's still better than where, it was when I got here. Yeah. And I think I try to do that as a member with time. I try to identify, look, the main reason I'm in this meeting is because I was an addict who suffered, you know, with addiction to substances. Um, that's the, the, you know, our primary purpose in the meetings is to, you know, sort of, um, carry that message and then the application and living on a daily basis of applying those principles of recovery is the application part. Um, I think that's, hmm, that's hard because you're, you're relying on the individual members to each take responsibility. And the truth is in a, you know, in the, say my home group or any meeting that you go to, there's 10, 12, 15 people there. Some of them have a, application of some of these principles and steps and traditions and all those things. And some don't, you know, some have never been involved in any sort of service at any kind of level where they've had to mull over some of these principles and how they apply. And, and some haven't really worked past the third or fourth step, even though they got multiple years clean. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation of if you've been clean all these years, but you haven't really worked a lot of steps. Are you, you a know, what is the, Yeah. What is the quality <laughs> of your recovery? And what do you, what are you really even doing here? You know, to me, right. that's always the thing. I'm like, what are you even doing here? Like, I don't understand that. <laughs> and, and I would definitely add into that, that from my experience uh, on any given day with steps and recovery at times, I still might be that guy who's <laughs> right. not, you know, right. the one taking personal responsibility for what I say in a meeting. Like I can show up and be the, the idiot any day. Oh yeah. Sure. Definitely through the years I've done, like say every bad thing, sat in a meeting and text it on my phone, you know, but of course when I'm doing it, it's, uh, it's obviously something important. Like well, right. when I'm texting on my phone, everyone should understand that it's obviously either my kid and it's a really important issue or it's a babysitter and it's a really important issue. Or if I get up and walk out of the meeting to take a phone call, well, since it's me, you should know that it's completely important. Right. And uh, when it's someone else, it's just a bunch of bullshit and how disrespectful they are to me and the rest of the meeting for them to be such an interrupt. I definitely spent two years of my recovery, uh, basically going to my home group each week and that alone and on my phone through my entire home group, whether it was candy crush or watching the (laughs) football or baseball (laughs) score update. Uh, and, and I did that telling myself that I was still getting something out of the meeting. I can candy crush and still listen. I can play words with friends and hear the speaker. And I look at that now, um, probably eight years 
after stopping doing that because I decided it was important to sit still for an hour and, and be involved and be present. And I say, get the fuck off your phone in a meeting, dude. That drives me crazy. You're distracting me from paying attention because right. you're on your fucking phone. And it's so goddamn rude. Like if I'm talking, I'm talking because I need people to listen and hear me and, and, and talk to me and relate. Right. And so I need to give that to other people. I, I fucking hate when people are on their phones in meetings, dude. Yeah. For me, it's a, it's a respect thing. It's a yes. level of respect. So if, if something does happen and it's important, I try to kind of get up and quietly walk out. It doesn't happen very often. Most of the time I turn my phone like completely off where it doesn't even vibrate. Right. Exactly. I try to remember to do that. Um, so that it doesn't even go off during the meeting, unless I'm in a situation where, hey, I might be expecting an important call or, you know, something going on with one of my kids or whatever. Then there's some important things that I need to, to stay in contact with. Same for me. Uh, if there's something I know might happen, yes, I'll have it on vibrate. But generally, my phone is completely turned off. Right. And it, it carries outside. I mean, I've stood outside of meetings for an hour and I'm Never looked at my phone after the meeting. And, and you know, it's been three hours since I looked at my phone. Fuck that phone, right? I'll deal with it when I look at it. Not now. Right now, I'm dealing with whoever I'm talking to right in front of me. So I've had two people that I very much respected in recovery-wise. One of them used to sit in meetings and actually knit. It was a guy, and he would actually sit there and knit, like, blankets and sweaters and shit. And he'd just be or crochet. I'm not sure which ones. I think it was a knitting. Anyway, he would sit there and knit the whole time with the needles going and the thread and just sit there and knit the whole time while the meeting was going on. Um, Do you feel like that's weird? I feel like that's different than a phone. Well, it was weird because it, to me being probably sexist, but thinking <laughs> there's this old white guy sitting in a meeting knitting the whole time like that in and of itself was weird. Right. But, you know, and who fucking knits in the 20th century? Like, who so, still knits? But, right. and then I had another sponsor who was actually my sponsor at one point, used to stand sort of in the back of meetings against the wall and would do like Tai Chi poses and shit while the meeting was going on. And he had talked about that instance with the guy that would knit or himself doing the Tai Chi poses and said, well, and this was just his perspective which again, I always listen to and think about. It's like, he would say, well, there's a lot of sort of nonsense conversation going on in meetings that really isn't very useful. And I don't want to sort of bog down my brain with all this useless stuff. But when someone starts to say something really important, I'll stop what I'm doing and pay attention. And he would point out this guy that was knitting. He would say, watch him one time when he's doing that during the meeting. And when someone says something that he finds particularly insightful or particularly useful, he'll stop and he'll really intently pay attention. And then when you can tell when he feels like it goes back to bullshit, he'll start knitting again. You know? <laughs> and see, I think that's even worse personally, because I, I try most of the reason I listen isn't because what people have to say is fucking, you know, baffling me with the mind boggling intenseness of how important it is for my life. It's usually dumb shit, right? But I'm listening because I think I want them to know that they're worth me listening. It has nothing to do with what they're saying. I don't yeah. give a fuck what they're saying. Usually it's like, hey, look, you matter, right? That's what I want you to know. You matter. And I'm going to sit here and give you respectful listening. And yet for me, one of the points of the meeting, like one of the, the reasons I think meetings are important and beneficial is that sense of community, that sense of connection that we get going there. Like we form 
you know, a community there. Right. We have shared values, shared beliefs, you know, that we reinforce through, you know, these different practices and actions. And like, it's important that I show that respect to those people. You know, I, I tend to not do any of those things for the reasons you said, like to me now it's become just a level of respect for someone who's talking and sharing. And, you know, early on, you know, I thought major, you know, minor issues in my life were these major life boggling experiences that I didn't know how to deal with, you know, that, that I struggled with. They really were emotionally challenging for me in my life, you know, burning a pizza for dinner or, you know, what I was going to do. Cause you know, some girl didn't call me back. Like those things early on in recovery were just so detrimental, you know, so overwhelming, I guess. Yeah, I got to stop spirit. and get gas on the way home from work. What the fuck? Right. <laughs> and and they could be totally overwhelming to, you know, now in my life, I'm like, dude, you're getting all hung up over bullshit. You right. know what I mean? Like my kids are all healthy. You know, I have my electrics on. We have food in the <laughs> fridge. I have a place to live. You know, my family's all doing OK. I'm doing OK. Like the minor stuff is really not the stuff that I need to get bulked down with. But it's taken me, you know all this time to learn how to, to manage those emotions. And it's, so I look at my, my teenage daughters and say, uh, they are regularly overwhelmed with minor, really fucking meaningless shit, right? Like they were going to take their phones to school, which they're normally not allowed to do. They were going to Friday for their birthday. And, uh, then they did something I didn't like. So I changed my mind and said, no, you can't just leave me here. You'll get them after school. And my one daughter cried about it. Right. And there was a day they set up this thing of going to a football game. And then like the information came to me later that they weren't supposed to be there without parental supervision. And I wasn't going to the football game. So I told them they couldn't go. And my daughter cried about it. And I'm like, get the fuck over it. It's such a small thing. Right. But for them in that place, it's their whole life. Right. right. And, I, and I try to remember that it's hard at times when it's really, really stupid shit. Or my five year old's mad that he can't, you know, have the snack he wants before dinner. That's important to him. Um, but I think when people come into recovery, especially they are kind of stunted in their emotional growth and they are kind of five year olds or teenagers. And, and that shit is huge to them. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I think back through all the years that I've been going to meetings, I am sure my reasons and rationales have changed through that time. You know, I remember, so, so I always think of that funny thing. It's like, you can almost tell where someone's at in their recovery, like how many years they have by what they share, or what they talk about. It's that, you know, the newcomers in the first year, like everyone's all like great and recovery is great and life's great and everything's fabulous and you know, all that. And then you get to the like the two to five years where you become like the know-it-all person who like, I know what every person needs to do. And when people share, they want to share back at them, like how they need to fix their problem right. and what they need to do about it. And you can almost identify that person by how they share. They wait till the end of the meeting so that they can share their You're great advice for everyone else, <laughs> you know, and then we get, you know, later in recovery. So I've done all those things. Um, that five to 10 years, I was the person who was in all the meetings to help everyone else. You know, I didn't, I didn't need to be there. I was there to grace everyone else with my presence and to, you know, not necessarily fix all their problems, but to be this great example of recovery. And, and, and it's funny you just see people go through those things. And then, you know, once you get to that, I think it's like the 15 to 20 years, you become the person that like, 
most people don't know what the fuck you're talking about anymore. You're like, is that guy even clean? Like, I don't know what, all I ever say is they don't know what's going on in life and they don't know what they're doing. Like, that's how I feel now. But like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just winging my way through most of this on a daily basis, trying my best, right? getting it right sometimes, getting it wrong sometimes. I don't have any answers for anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, one of the other things you can like or dislike about a meeting would be formats, right? So I got clean in an area where almost every goddamn meeting is basically a, a speaker meeting, right? And I'm very used to that. Uh, it definitely can be a plus or a minus, depending on who your speaker seeker is and what kind of speakers you're getting. Are you, you know, getting enthusiastic people who've worked some steps and are really into their program? Or are you just asking anybody? I mean, I've been in meetings where people asked people from different fellowships to share, people who've never worked a step or never attempted to. Like, I've heard some really awful speaker messages, too. So that can be a bummer to listen to that for 25 minutes. Um, but moving up here to an area where it's generally not speaker meetings, uh, and my home group is not a speaker meeting every week, it's definitely a, a difference. I, I've, I don't hate round robin or meetings or, or, or people, you know, open meetings where there's no speaker. I think there's definitely some value in it. But being that it's not what I'm used to, sometimes it can get a little boring having to listen to, you know, 15 different people share for five minutes as opposed to one main overall positive message and then three people afterwards. What's your take on all that? Well, again, I think all of them are useful at different times. I personally, I prefer the meetings that, I mean, I got clean and only really ever went to meetings in this area predominantly in the area that we are now. So I'm pretty used to like open meetings. What I like best about them is most of the time they allow you to get to know people on a more personal basis because I can tell my actual, you know, story without getting anything specific into my life and who I am today and what I like today and what my values are and what my beliefs are. I can tell my whole recovery story from my using to early, you know, treatment to finding my way to meetings without really letting you know much personal information about me at all. Um, I connect now more with people through the personal aspects of, you know, their stories, their, their personal struggles with recovery. Right. Um, So I like that a little more. I do think there's definite value to having uh, topic meetings when they're based on like the literature or the steps. I can't believe we used to have some step meetings. We don't have any really around anymore. Um, I really always liked, step and tradition meetings early in recovery. I felt like they were, I felt like people in recovery had all this knowledge that I needed to get because I didn't know how to live my life. And in the beginning of my recovery, I didn't trust people a whole lot. And I felt like most people were full of shit or giving you the best version of themselves that they had, you know, their representative, you got to meet their representative. And then what they did when they left the meetings or weren't speaking in meetings was probably different than the great shit they were talking in the meeting. So I identified a lot with step meetings and talking about topics and talking about nowadays, I don't get that much about them because I've done my own exploratory, you know, work into those things. I've, I've went out and sought that information and knowledge from people that I respected and admired in recovery. You know, so it's changed for me over the years. 
Right. No, I, I'm with you. So I, my first sponsor was all about chasing step meetings and I dug it and that's what we did. And if, you know, it was a, it was a really a, a judgmental thing. It was like, Hey, if you're not chasing step meetings, what the fuck are you really doing? Right. Cause that's what this is about. Um, so I will, I will say, I agree with a lot of what you said. I do think there's a lot of value in the open meeting. Um, I do think I get to know people. I almost wonder if meetings should have an attendance cap and not to, and not for a reason of like keeping people out, but more of a reason of like, at some point we have so many people here that we can't really all get a chance to talk and get to know each other. Right. So maybe we need to cap this at 30 and open up a separate meeting right across the street at the same time so we can have another 30 people at, instead of having 60 people in my home group every week, uh, 30 of which are, are, are hiding almost, you know, they're invisible because they don't speak up and nobody ever gets to know them or talk to them or reach out to them. Um, so I like format meetings too, when the format makes sense. Right. And so what I've seen a lot of lately at some point in time, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I started seeing this alternating format, right? Every week we do something different. And I'm like, hey, in theory, that sounds interesting. If my home group did a little something different, I get a little taste of everything. But what I noticed about all those meetings that did that was that they seemed to read what their format was at the beginning of every meeting in their little prologue. And it was like, hey, in this meeting, the first week of the month, we do this. And the second meeting, and I was like, you are wasting so much fucking valuable time talking about what your meeting does. Keep it simple, right? Even if you're going to have a rotating format, shut the fuck up about it and just do it. Um, and so what I find now is a lot of groups tend to go that way. Or not maybe a lot, but there's definitely quite a few groups that go that way. And they don't seem to fit who's at their meeting. I don't feel like – so the group booklet uh, that is particular to one fellowship that I go to, it speaks about, hey – figure out what the people in your group need and try to provide that as a home group member. And I see all these groups that have like 12 tradition meetings when they know that 88% of their attendance is people with less than three months who've never heard of a fucking tradition. And I'm like, that's dumb. Like, that's not useful. Why are we doing this? Let's have meetings about like, Hey, this is a meeting about the first three steps. Cause that's what the fuck you need to hear about. Not, hey, here's a meeting on Concept 11 that you've never even heard of and I'll never talk about again. I don't get that. Yeah, and that's that's one of those things that drives me nuts. I don't usually say anything about it. I just try to suck it up. But as a 12-step purist, it's like when you have those, you know, when there is a step meeting and they're talking about step six or seven and the person opens up their sharing by saying, well, I've never formally worked this sixth step with my sponsor, but I'm going to tell you what I think about it and how it applies. Like that drives me nuts. And you get it a lot with the eighth step and people trying to make amends when they got 40 days clean and right. how poorly that just sounds in your head when you've been through like a formal understanding and practice of what amends means. And right. <laughs> like, so that stuff can become annoying. And then it's the same thing with, you know, concepts and traditions. You hear people talk about these things and you think, I don't think I've ever seen you do any kind of service work. You know, I don't, think i've ever seen you at any you know events being of service to other people how do you think you know what these th i mean my biggest problem always was i thought i knew how to do lots of things and i thought i knew all the answers to everything and i didn't need anyone's help you know that's right. where it came down to i got this figured out i don't need anyone's help or direction I i'm good um and that didn't serve me well 
in my life, you know, so when I came to recovery, I tried to to get out of that mindset and think, well, I'm just going to open my mind up to what people have to say. And then I have to look at that person and place some value on how they're living and what they're doing. And are they someone I admire or are they someone that I look at and go, nah, I don't think I want to live like, <laughs> like that person's living. Because there's some of those around that, you know, we can look at that. You think, man, that guy's on like his third marriage and I know he cheats on his wife half the time. You know, I right. don't think what he has to say about commitment and loyalty and, you know, I don't think that carries much weight with me. <laughs> right. Right. So one other point uh, I know we wanted to touch on before we wrapped up here would be, you know, the idea of having kids in meetings uh, and, and maybe even, you know, further to, to dogs or anything else that, that might be in a meeting. But generally the idea of, is it okay to have your child in a meeting? And, and what does that look like in okayness? Yeah, I have come to appreciate it. I used to really be bothered by it for a couple of reasons. One, the language and the context of the meeting is most of the time inappropriate for children, yes. in my opinion. Um, I try my best to, you know, be mindful of when kids are around, but the truth is I forget or I'm just talking and I'm so used to and comfortable being in that meeting and being able to, you know, swear or talk about on child friendly things, right. you know, that it becomes awkward for me. Like I feel a little bit awkward about it sometimes, but with that being said, I've also come to appreciate how important it is for those kids that their parents be there, that their parents for the sake of those children, their parents need to be there no matter what they got to do to get to a meeting. I mean, we push that to people. So I really have, come to a place where I try to be supportive of people bringing their kids, but doing it in a way like in our home group for a while. And I've done it at times, you know, we just happen to be lucky in our meeting space in the back of the room, there's a curtain that you can kind of close off and they have some kids toys there. Cause it's in a church house where they use it for other activities. And uh, I've actually taken kids kind of back there just on my own because we don't have specifically set up that way. Or if there's people that we know bring their kids or want to bring their kids, I've approached them after the meeting and said, hey, look, you know, we can kind of close these curtains and put them back there depending on their age. Um, it can be disruptful, disrupt, disruptful. You hope that the parents are being mindful of what their kids are doing and that they're not a total distraction to everyone in the meeting which at times right. they are that happens you know and i just try to accept it and not get hung up on it because it used to really bother me a lot right so i <clears throat> i too let me give the disclaimer beforehand that i have been blessed uh in the sense that i have never had to really take my kids to meetings there are a couple of times i've taken the real tiny babies when it was convenient and they, you know, weren't really hearing anything because they were too young for any of that. I'm sure, I mean, of course they heard it, but I didn't think it was a big issue. Um, but that was always, it seemed by choice. And, and I've always had enough support around me um, to where I didn't have to do it. So I'm definitely blessed in that area. I wasn't forced with that decision of, do I go to a meeting and take my kid or do I not? Um, and I also don't have 
the answer, right? I, I will say that up front. I don't know what's right and wrong with this uh, topic, but I do, I have had some changing feelings. So, okay. I started out with like, get your fucking kid out of the meeting. They're driving me crazy and they're distracting me because I struggle to pay attention. And this is all about me. Um, and since then it's evolved to understand that people don't have it. Uh, you know, they might not have the supports in place that I did. Um, they might not be blessed enough to have somebody else to watch their kid that they trust. Um, but I still struggle. And to me, it's almost like coming down to that, uh, that psychology ethics experiment of there's, uh, 15 people going to get hit by a train, but you could flip the switch on the tracks to make the train go the other way. And only one person dies like, and which is right. Is it doing nothing because then you're not involved in actively killing someone? Is it choosing the, the, 15 lives over the one, like, is that more ethically responsible? And there's no real good answer. It's just kind of a thought experiment. But that's how I sort of feel about kids in in meetings is that if you're bringing your kids, for me, if I was to take my kid to a meeting, I am already going to be hyper vigilant about parenting. So I'm not going to get very much out of the meeting. I'm going to be too disturbed wondering if my kid is distracting other people, right? And so if my kid is a distraction, A, I'm already not getting much out of the meeting. And now I am keeping five other people from getting what they might need to stay clean that night. And so I'm, I'm bothered by that fact. It's, I feel like if it was me, I would get more out of being at home, distracting my kid for 20 minutes with whatever distracts them, a TV show, a cartoon, and calling my sponsor or my network for that 15 or minutes. I would get more recovery out of that mode of, of gaining it than I would taking my kid to a meeting where I'm going to distract not only myself, but also a number of other people in the meeting. I feel like that's doing a disservice. So from that like kind of ethical thought experiment standpoint, I, I don't think kids should be in meetings. And, and yeah, so you can't come to a meeting without your kid. Well, meetings aren't the only place for the recovery. Like re- we already said, we don't believe recovery even happens there. It's more reinforcement and why can't I just get that reinforcement in some other mode of a phone call to a sponsor or a peer that's also in recovery or some other way? Why do I need to go to the meeting with my kid and distract, you know, possibly some or all of the meeting when I can do this a different way and and be better for others and Hmm. myself. And so in that line of thinking, I actually feel like from from what I just heard you say, I feel like that encourages my line of thinking only to say that the point of the meeting is for that connection and community and positive reinforcement. And I don't know about you, but in our area, like I have literally watched, you know, kids grow up through their parents being in recovery and seen them as young kids coming into meetings with their mom and watch them grow as their parents have stayed in recovery. So if the, point of the meeting isn't really to to quote unquote get recovery you know is it that person being there that sense of community and that sense of connection and that sense of positive reinforcement of values and ideas i don't think you get that from a phone call you can get recovery from your sponsor with a phone call but if you're someone who's a let's take say a young mom who's at home all day raising her kids early in recovery, say in a recovery house or somewhere, you know, and, and 
your whole social network of using people is gone because you're not associating with them anymore and you're trying to develop this new community of people in recovery, are you really going to get that from a couple phone calls? Right. Or are you going to get that from going to meetings? And so, you know, there, there is, you, you hope that these, anyone learns life skills in recovery, right. you know, because we come in without them. And a lot of people don't know how to raise kids. And and I've been lucky enough. I haven't really had to take my kids. They have been to some meetings and I've had a couple funny experiences. So I, we have taken our kids to a lot of events. You know, the fellowship I belong to has a lot of events, picnics and get togethers and gatherings and whatever. And we'll take our kids to those things because people know us. They know our family. They know our kids. You know, we've developed these relationships over years. And so one time, a few years back, I was asked to speak at a picnic and I sat up there and I gave my whole story of all my using and everything else. And I didn't realize in my periphery over on the far side, you know, my at the time, probably about 10 year old daughter had sat there and heard me share my entire story, totally unfiltered and unaware that she was sitting there. So I didn't filter anything i didn't try to i was you know my whole raw version of you know my story and after i found out she was there i felt really awkward and weird because i knew my kids knew we went to meetings <laughs> right um there was another time where i had i had taken my daughter she was a little older then she was probably about 14 um i had taken her to my home group and she came in i said well you could just sit in here through the meeting and kind of chill out do whatever you want um it'll be about an hour and so as we're sitting in there and people start talking in the meeting, I realized that half the people in the meeting or it felt like all the people in the meeting that shared had no respect for that. There was a 14 year old young girl sitting in the meeting and the the my hyper awareness of the context of mm -hmm. what people were talking about, and what they were saying. We actually got up and left probably about 10 minutes into the meeting because I got so uncomfortable for her, for myself, and for everyone else in the meeting, like this is just not an appropriate place right. for her to be at this time. And we got up and left, you know. Right. Um, but that was with a lot more years clean and a lot more years, you know. And then recently, my son was same thing. I was actually at a meeting speaking at a picnic, you know. Someone asked me to share at a picnic, and he actually came kind of as I started. He came over. And sat right next to me as I'm sharing my story and put his arm right. He saw at one point I was sharing, you know, early on and I sort of got a little choked up, a little emotional about some things as I started to share and being supportive. He came over and kind of put his arm around me to kind of give me a hug and let me know it was okay. And then he said there's so I was kind of hyper aware of him sitting there as I spoke. And uh, I don't know. I've come to appreciate like that's a that's a part of me that's being intimate with my kids. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not really sure. Right. Um, if nothing else, I feel like it's honesty and it's a part of myself that I hope that they know about me because as they get older and get into using, they might decide in their life, like, Hey, I want to socially drink. Hey, I want to smoke pot or, you know, I want to try some things. And that's normal. I think that that's normal in life, especially nowadays. Um, I want them to know that the dangers, hey, this is what you need to look out for. This is what you need to be hyper aware of, that your parents are addicts. So you are biologically predisposed to addiction. 
And you should be aware of these certain indicators or these certain red flags that this isn't something that is healthy. Yeah. I mean, the research says the biological component uh, separate from any other environmental piece is just one in eight for one addict parent. Uh, You have a one in eight shot of your kid, you know, being an addict. And then for two parents, it's one in four. It, It doubles. So any kid coming from a two addict parent relationship is, is a 25% chance they're going to have addict biology in them without any other factor going into it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just going to with some of the stuff you were saying that stuck out, like I, I think ideally, if you're just getting clean, you have no connection to anyone in recovery. Yes, obviously, you might have to bring your kids to a couple meetings. Hopefully, you get some phone numbers, you connect with women that are also parents, Maybe they're in a position where they're able to leave their two kids at home with their husband and, and maybe they can offer that to you. Hey, you got your kid. You can't. Why don't you come to a meeting with me and your kid can stay here with my husband? It's not a big deal. Right. For an hour. Like hopefully these kind of things take place and do foster the, the community through the phone calls, the connections. Uh, I do get what you're saying, how it can be tough and, and how bringing kids can possibly, you know, emphasize that community and connection. Uh, I know for me, so my opinions on things uh, self-centeredly are all about how much they bother me, right? A fucking kid distracting me in a meeting where I can't hear what's going on bothers the shit out of me. Um, It used to bother me when I was sharing a meeting and there were kids in it because I felt I had to filter or, or say things in certain ways or pay attention. And honestly, a lot of my life today is revolved around finding ways that I can deal with situations that work for me, whether they're the kosher, everyone would approve way or not. Yesterday, my daughters had a softball game and like generally I go to all their softball games. Yesterday, I really wanted to go work out and I had to make that decision. And it was like, look, this might not be the popular thing. It's right for me. I went and worked out. It meant a lot to me to go do that yesterday. I had limited time to do it. It's like, a lot of people might judge that and say, you should have been showed up for your daughters. And usually I do. Yesterday, I fucking chose not to. And I was happier. I would have been unhappy going to their game. Right. And that's how it's it's I've had to evolve with the kids in meetings. Like if there's a kid in the meeting and I'm sharing, I don't give a fuck. You brought them. They're going to hear what I got to say. I ain't filtering no more. And that's made that aspect of it. OK, with me, I just I got to do what's right for me no matter what. And that's one of those things I had to come to. I don't give a fuck if people judge me. I'm going to say my fucks all meeting long. And if your kid's here, that's just too bad. Like, that's not my issue, right? The distraction thing, I don't know how to deal with that in a way that I can tune them out. I try. uh, I sit up front. I try not to, you know, be near it. But I can't get around it, so I'm still annoyed by it. And and I always think of something a sponsor told me one time was, uh, you know, in most of our problems that we run into in life as as addict people, like the solutions, the immediate solutions to those problems are extreme. So when you think about kids coming to meetings, it's either, well, you got to let kids come to meeting and just put up with all their bullshit and they're screaming and they're banging shit and put up with all of it. Or you just know kids at meetings and we can't have none of it. We'll execute them as soon as they walk in the door. Yeah. Tell them they're not welcome and they got to leave. And the truth is usually the best answer is somewhere in the middle of those two things. Right. Um, I, I hope, I would like to believe that as a fellowship, as a group of people and as a community of, you know, hopefully like-minded individuals, that us more experienced members can take an active role in creating a positive 
experience for everyone when you see someone has to bring kids or just owning up to the honesty that, hey, this meeting really isn't kid friendly. You know, we really don't. This is not an atmosphere where we encourage parents to bring children because a lot of meetings will say, you know, it's okay if you bring your children, but they're your responsibility. And that's okay, but that deflects the responsibility, I think, of the home group to to create a place for kids to be for someone that needs to bring them. And you right. don't have to do it, but if you're going to say that it's okay to bring them and you're going to say that you encourage people to do it, then you also should try as experienced members to take an active part in that solution, which is, you know, like say creating a space where maybe their parents can take them where it's quiet or maybe someone, you know, I know there's a meeting in our area that says they have childcare in the meeting where they, pay a babysitter each week so that people can bring their kids. Right. That's an active solution. I don't know that there's a one size fits all solution, but as members that are experienced in recovery, you know, we can help the newcomers find those solutions. We can create, you know, places in our home groups to help support those situations without, you know, forcing the parent. So the parents can get what they need, but that the other members in your home group and, and that are at the meeting can get what they need to. Childcare is definitely a great solution. Uh, my home group does participate in having childcare, which is awesome. But then, you know, it goes back to the debate of, hey, uh, so you've got some meetings in your area that have childcare. Now, should they be the only meetings that parents take their kids to? Should they say, okay, look, you've got these three or four options throughout the week. Now keep your fucking kids out of the other meetings, right? Where they're going to cause disturbance. Or is it still like, oh, you're welcome everywhere. Like, fuck it. Even though you have these options to get around that, you don't have to choose them. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's the autonomous autonomy of the home group to do that. Just fucking be honest about what you are. Right. You know, and if you're a group that really doesn't want kids there or dogs or whatever else, then just say it. Just be honest. Maybe I say, just... <laughs> we're a group that doesn't really encourage you to bring your kids and pets to our meeting. We don't appreciate it. Maybe I yeah. should just start sharing some really crudball shit anytime I see a kid's <laughs> meeting so people don't want to bring them back. <laughs> right. I know whenever I, I sit up front and have secretaried my home group, I always announce like, hey, uh, we do allow kids in the meeting, but please put them on vibrate um, so that they don't make any noise. <laughs> like, Just keep them quiet, right? No, uh, you've yeah. had young kids. That's impossible. You know? It is. A kid's it an is. individual. It's not a, you know, because it bothers me just as much when you see like a parent sitting there with a young kid and they're like holding their hands and yelling at them the whole time to be quiet. I right. mean, I don't know about you, but I, when I, you know, six year old boys aren't made to sit in a group discussion meeting and be quiet for an hour. Like that is a yeah. totally unrealistic expectation expectation of that child <laughs> and multiplied by the fact that all these children are coming from trauma right like they they don't have coping skills they don't have uh healthy people in front of them teaching them how to sit still or relax for a little while and play afterwards like they're coming from places of abandonment <laughs> and issues and, right and of course they act wild and and you know with no focus right so yeah uh generally meetings are tough uh to wrap that up that's that's all i got to say they're yeah. tough <laughs> I know like at my home group, I, I enjoy my home group. It's been my home group since I first got clean. I picked it my second day. I've stayed there a long time, built relationships. I've been lucky enough to do that um, with some other guys that have been there longer than me or as long as me. Um, and it's a place I look forward to going to every week. That's been an important part of consistency in going there. 
Um, so there are some definite positives to go into meetings. Uh, that's why I still go and participate. Right. But there's annoyances, and we should just talk about them and you know laugh yeah. about it. We laugh about it at my home group all the time. You know, it's it's fun. It you know, absolutely, just, absolutely. I I don't rarely do I feel like going to a meeting only because my general state of being is I don't feel like doing any fucking thing. Um, but I generally do at least 95% of the time feel better after I've went to a meeting. Uh, there's definitely meetings I've left where I don't fucking feel better. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I just wasted like two hours of my life. I wish I had never came here, but more often than that, I definitely am like, Oh, I'm glad I came. I heard a little something I liked. I, connected with somebody i saw somebody i haven't seen in a while and we got to talk for a little bit before or after so meetings are definitely a positive for my life yeah so that's about all i have to say about meetings at this point um hopefully i'll get a chance to check out some of these other non-12 step meetings and we can get some input onto some of that yeah, and at some point in this podcast future, we might be uh, scheduled enough where we actually know what the fuck we're talking about next week that we could tell you that now. But right now, we don't know that. So we'll figure that out and uh, enjoy your week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor. Email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.